This is NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Kia Miyaka Natiz. Today, we're featuring two children's books that highlight the indigenous experience in America, including a story about the little-known history of the 1911 World Series. That book, in a bit, but first, a new picture book about a young girl excited to do something once denied her people, to grow her hair long. The book is called My Powerful Hair by Carol Lindstrom and illustrator Steph Littlebird. It shares the painful story of the abuse indigenous children endured in the early 1900s through the eyes of a young child learning to celebrate her hair and reclaim her identity. The two chat here with Here and Now's Deepa Fernandez about the memories hair can hold. This message comes from NPR sponsor BritBox, streaming acclaimed original series you won't find anywhere else. With powerful performances from Jodie Whittaker, Tamara Lawrence, Bella Ramsey, Matthew McFadden, and more. Streaming at BritBox.com NPR. Support for NPR and the following message come from Sattva. Sattva luxury mattresses are every bit as elegant as the most expensive brands. But because they're sold online, they're about half the price. Visit SAATVA.com NPR and save an additional $200. The new picture book, My Powerful Hair, explores a painful topic, the abuse of Indigenous children in the early 1900s and its after-effects. But it does so from the perspective of a child who celebrates as her hair grows longer and is interwoven with her memories. Carol Lindstrom is the author of My Powerful Hair – she is Anishinaabe Métis, as well as a citizen of the Turtle Mountain Band of Ojibwe. And she joins me now. Carol, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Also joining us is Steph Littlebird. She's a member of Oregon's Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde, and she did the gorgeous illustrations. Welcome to you as well, Steph. Thank you so much. It's an honor. Carol, let's start with you. The title of the book is striking, My Powerful Hair. I mean, so many of us have grown up ashamed of our natural hair. But as you say in the book, Indigenous children have a really brutal history. Many were forced to cut off their hair. Yet, First Nations people believe their hair holds strength. Well, um, Indigenous peoples, um, it's it's something that I didn't know growing up because my grandmother was forced to Indian boarding school. And so the hair, which was a big part of our culture and who we were and a part of our identity, was removed. My mom had short hair and she kept my hair short too. Um, You know, I didn't understand it when I was a child, but now, of course, I do know what it was from, the boarding school and the short hair and how, you know, wild Indians, all those things that my mother would say, you look wild. So I couldn't have long hair when I was a child. Today, there's a lot of things in the news. I've seen stories of young Indigenous boys having their braids cut um, when they're, you know, in schools by other children or even by teachers. And that's a very important part of their uh, our identity is our hair and that connection to each other. There is usually a relative, a very close relative that braids the hair. And so that love that passes between the hands of the braider, you know, and the hair um, also, the hair, you know, whole, our hair holds memories. It's almost like a scrapbook, you know, a living scrapbook of everything we've done, every 
person we've met, every lived experience is really in our hair. And so if you think about it that way, it makes you not want to cut your hair. It makes you want to keep all those moments that you were with your relatives and, you know, maybe loved ones who've passed on. Mm, and you tell this so beautifully in the picture book. And and I have to say the stories, the memories are beautifully brought to life by Steph Littlebird, who I want to bring into the conversation. Steph, this is your first picture book that you're illustrating. How did you become involved in the project? Well, I was just lucky enough that um, Carol and the publisher came across my work and approached me and, you know, the opportunity to work with Carol, especially, um, you know, with her um, history as an amazing author already with We Are Water Protectors. It was just like an opportunity I couldn't pass up. You use such gorgeous colors in the book. With one exception, the pictures of the boarding school, can you talk about how you use your art to tell the story? Yeah, so for me, this story is um, not only a historical story, but it's a, a family story. And, um, you know, uh, with relatives and people from my community who have experienced their own um, trauma in the Indian boarding school system, because where I come from in Oregon, uh, that's actually home to the longest running boarding school in the country, which remains open to this day. And so, you know, that um, decision to to take the color out of that particular spread from the book was a way to signal um, how life um, and trauma can sort of suck away those joys that we have because, um, you know, those negative experiences, they stay with us and uh, they become mm -hmm. part of our memories too. And so uh, it's a way to emphasize the experience of that, of that moment in the book. Yeah. And, and even just hearing you say that it, it's, it's painful on so many levels. And, and I think also scary when one thinks about mm. having family members forcibly taken from you as, as Native children were, uh, sometimes at gunpoint, some of them never returned to their families. Yet both of you in words and images, I feel like you tell this story without it being scary for children. I want you to just talk about that and, and how you managed to do that. Let's start with you, Carol. One thing that I, I guess is I find challenging about picture books and what also why I love to write them because um, writing picture books for young people is more about what you don't say than about what you do because, um, you know, I have to be very conscious of the, there's an illustrator that's going to do artwork. So there are a lot of words that I don't have to say or use, or I could say them in a, a more gentle manner. Words can be kind of harsh, you know, kind of like if you think texts, when you get a misunderstood text between a friend you know, I think um, words sometimes, if the tone and all that isn't there, they can, yeah. you know, can be hurtful. So, yeah, so I think when I do say words um, about this, I, mean, I like I say, I do love the challenge of stories where there's a, a big, deep, heavy subject matter, but yet you have to make it accessible. And that's where I always think, well, do I need to say yeah. this? How can the illustrator's artwork depict it so a child could understand it but not be frightened by it? And that's where Steph comes in. 
Steph, did Carol tell you this? Like, did you feel like, oh, you know, there's there's a lot that's not being said, and my illustrations need to say that? Like, how? Talk to me about you know how you came to this. Yeah, I think um, I was really putting myself in the place of the reader when I was making these illustrations, and children can get it really easily. And um, it's even in that spread that we're talking about at the boarding school um, when the hair is being cut. It's really just an image of the child and their braid being cut and a hand, right? You don't even have to show the full person for the idea of someone having their hair cut forcibly to be um, translated an image. And so same as what Carol was doing is really thinking about what's the most important parts of these experiences to communicate and that will resonate with a reader. And so, you know, that was my responsibility as translating Carol's story was to honor this history, which, um, you know, is uh, really um, violent in many ways, but to depict it in a way that a child can understand and um, empathize with, I think, Mm. you know, that's really the most important part. I feel like the other thing you both did so wonderfully, you know, and I think for in many non-white cultures, hair is a place of shame. And, you know, in reading this book, my own daughter looked at it and was just gushing at how beautiful everybody's hair was in it. And then she said to me at the end, Mama, do you, when you braid my hair, you look full of love like that too? And And I feel like your book just crossed many cultures, but helped my daughter understand how much we can learn from Native peoples. And and so I wonder, like, was empowering part of, of this project? Did you, did you want young Indigenous children to feel proud of, of themselves and their hair? Oh, yes, 100%. Empowering, I think, is, oh, because I didn't have any power when I was young. I I was so, I grew up in a different time and, you know, picture books that we didn't have, all the, you know, wonderful representation that we have nowadays, you know, with Native people. So anytime I saw myself or Native peoples in books, we were always just stereotyped or I was ashamed of who I was. You know, we were savages or wild Indians and, you know, even in books I loved, you know, so I struggled so much with that. And so now as a, 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 that I'm a fortunate and great, you know, very, very fortunate that I could do this for my job. I want to make always sure that children feel empowered always, no matter what race they are or national, whatever they are, whoever they, wherever they come from, always feeling empowered by who they are, never being ashamed of being who they are, whatever difference that may be, because that, those differences are our beauty, you know? So yeah, that's really important to me when I write. And I know it's important to Steph too. (laughs) Last words to you, Steph. Yeah, I would just say that um, all of my work as an Indigenous creative is really like centered on uplifting our community because we have faced so many sort of historical traumas and ongoing problems. And so uh, growing up as a young person, I was hungry for uh, representation of indigenous people that was positive and uplifting and it just didn't exist really. And so um, I think both Carol and I feel called to fill that gap and and to create positive and uplifting content for our community that also resonates with other people because 
pride and taking positive views of yourself is something that we're not always taught, but it's something that we can communicate to children and is so important uh, as a value and a, you know, a skill set. And so, um, yeah, it's just like an honor to be able to do that with my work, really. Well, there isn't a single stereotype in this book. The book is My Powerful Hair. It's a children's book, and we've been speaking with the author, Carol Lindstrom, and the illustrator, Steph Littlebird. Thank you both so much. Thank Thank you. you. On Wildcard, the new podcast from NPR, you'll hear people like comedian Jenny Slate reflect on their lives. What is something you think about very differently today than you did 10 years ago? Dressing. Like, not salad dressing. I've always loved it and I'll never stop. <laughs> dressing my body. That's all part of the new game show, Wildcard, only from NPR. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Big news stories don't always break on your schedule. But with the NPR app, news, culture, and podcasts are ready when you want them. In your pocket. Download the NPR app today. The 1911 World Series game between the Philly Athletics and New York Giants featured two star players, Charles Bender and John Myers, both who happened to be Native American. The new picture book, Contenders, by Tracy Sorrell and Arrogant Star, tells the often forgotten history of these two groundbreaking baseball players. The authors chat here with NPR's Miles Parks. Okay, picture this. It's 1911. You're at the World Series. The Philadelphia Athletics and the New York Giants are dueling it out for the title. It ends with the Philly A's winning a thrilling six-game series. Two of the star players are Charles Bender of the A's and John Myers of the Giants. Before the 1911 series, they posed on the field together, prompting the New York Times to print this offensive line. Maybe they wish they had tomahawks in their hands instead of a bat and a baseball. It's just one example of the racism that these two star Native athletes endured. But Bender and Myers dominated the series, and that's the story of Contenders, a picture book for young readers by Tracy Sorrell and Aragon Star. They join me now. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. And happy baseball season. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I guess let's just start with these two characters who your book centers on. Tracy, can you tell us about Charles Bender? Charles is an Ojibwe young man who is moved from his home reservation in what is now Northwest Minnesota to boarding schools in the Pennsylvania area, first in Philly and then later to Carlisle. And that's where he learns the game of baseball and develops into an amazing pitcher. He's the inventor of the slider pitch, and he's in the National Baseball Hall of Fame. I know. That blew my mind when I saw that he was the inventor of the slider, which is a pitch now that's thrown by, you know, a number of pitchers in the majors. Yeah, every every game, right? Someone is throwing a slider pitch. And I was like, why don't young people know this? You know, this is a key part of today's game. Yeah. Arrogant. Tell me a little bit about John Myers. Oh, he's a local boy done good. And I say that because I'm based here in Los Angeles. Uh, John was from the Cahuilla Reservation um, out near Riverside, California. Just one of many Indian kids that loved to play baseball. As a scrappy youth, he went around to some colleges. They found out he hadn't even graduated high school, but there he was playing for Dartmouth. Um, But he gained attention. The scouts saw him. They found him. And, uh, you know, he joined the game a little bit later than a lot of the kids do these days. But there he was. 
I have to say, I consider myself kind of a student of baseball history. I had, when I was a kid, my mom got me a book that was like the 100 greatest baseball games of all time. And I read it front to back like 15 times. And yet I'm embarrassed to say I had not heard of these guys who played a really prominent role in early baseball history. Can you guys talk to me about how how you came to the story and then also how you researched it to be able to put this book together? Sure. My um, husband is uh, also an ardent baseball fan. And so he was reading this book and he said, have you heard about the Indian against Indian World Series? 1911, uh, the press labeled it the Indian against Indian. And I said, who played? What was this? So I, I started reading about it. And then I immediately wanted to know, okay, where did these two men come from? What's their backstory? It was just fascinating to me. So as much as I wanted to share the story of young readers and the accomplishments of these men, they also have very different paths that they get to the game by. At that time, there's not a lot of in-depth interviews with either one of them. So it was piecing it together with what interviews there, there were about their childhood. So very different realities, and yet they both rise to the highest level in the sport and play against each other. As far as like doing the research, it was a lot of fun to dive into history and especially like the history of New York baseball, because there were so many teams and um, sharing the polo grounds and then the whole history of the polo grounds about it burned to the ground, yet months later it came back, <laughs> which I thought was fantastic. And our native people were there. That impresses me to no end because people always think, you know, it ended in 1890 or something and, oh, they rode off into the sunset and it's the end of the trail. However, we have always been there and we have been on the forefront. We're inventing things. We're in it. We're in the mix, always in the mix. Well, and you all really honestly paint the racism and obstacles that these two men went through to get to the highest point in this sport. But this is a children's book, right? I mean, so how did you kind of weigh, including some of those really heavy topics in a book that's aimed at, at young people? Well, I mean, the reality is young people see that and experience that all the time. And I think it's it's very much in their face today. So in that part, it's like, well, just understand this is a continuation. Like you can go to a Braves game today and you see that. You can go to the Chiefs games today and you see that these athletes today are still playing in those kind of environments where our culture is mocked. Does that come into conflict as you, you're sitting here talking to me wearing a San Diego Padres shirt, you're drinking from a Kansas City Royals cup, <laughs> you clearly love the game still. How do those two things mm -hmm. interact with each other? My hope is that by exposing this and helping young people to see that, that we can grow more awareness of respecting all of us as humans. And by helping young people to know that we have always had a presence in the game, you've still got... Ryan Helsley, Adrian Hauser, you know, John Gray, who are all right-handed pitchers like Bender in the game today, that they deserve to be able to play with the respect and be able to do their jobs just like any other athlete out on the field. The art in this book is, is so gorgeous. And I think about a key part of Native heritage is storytelling. And yet I have to imagine you guys did not grow up with a lot of children's books that were about this sort of stuff that looked like this. How important was it to make something like this? It was incredibly important to bring this story to our Native kids because they see the outside world and they don't see themselves in it. 
in these kids' books. And if they do see themselves in the books, it's highly stereotyped and certainly not, you know, what they see at home. And a lot of the misconceptions about our Native people, too, are, oh, they're all, you know, have horrible lives and live in poverty and da 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 You know, however, that's not always the case. Some of us actually had two parents and grew up and went to school and did amazing things. And I was so thrilled to be able to bring these incredible lives to light because we are forgotten. Everybody thinks of the lovely Jackie Robinson and that is a well-told tale. And we, I love Jackie because I love the Dodgers. But these guys were there way before that. <laughs> well, while I have you guys here, I have to ask, uh, what do you make of the new rules? Any thoughts? I'm liking the new rules. There's something more exciting about seeing those ground balls go through the hole. You know, like they used to be, ah, the shift, ah, they're going to hit their, ah, it was so, I don't know, mechanical or something. But now it's darn exciting. I feel the exact same way. I feel like that's a ground ball that should have gone through. And for a while, we had a couple of years where it was like, why is that? And now we're back. Now it's like, ah, it feels like baseball again, right? Yeah. It sure does. Yeah, no, I'm definitely, <laughs> I'm definitely over the shift, but I just don't feel like someone should be on second base if they haven't done the work to get to second base. Fair enough. Yes, fair enough. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> what about those big bases? Ooh. Yeah, exactly. I like the shorter games. I like the shorter games, though. Yes. That's Tracy Sorrell, an arrogant star. Their new book is Contenders, and it's out now. Thank you both so much for joining me. Thank you for having us. Mado, Kapichihi, my mother thanks you, my grandmother thanks you, and what a pleasure to be on your show, Miles. That's it for this week on NPR's Book of the Day. Let us know what you think. You can write to us at bookoftheday at npr.org. I'm Kia Miakonatis by Isabella Gomez Sarmiento and Tilda Wilson and edited by Megan Sullivan. Our founding editor is Petra Mayer. The show elements for this week were produced and edited by Allison Mollenkamp, Ed McNulty, Danny Hensel, Shannon Rhodes, Michael Levitt, Justine Kennan, Mallory Yu, Lena Muhammad, Amika Tamagawa, Hiba Ahmad, and Melissa Gray. Beth Donovan is our managing editor. Thanks for listening. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Mass Mutual. The Financial Educators Council says 39% of Americans don't have someone to go to for financial advice, but you can plan for the short and long term with someone backed by 170 years of financial expertise at MassMutual.com. Pro-Palestinian protests have popped up on college campuses across the country, but from the eyes of students, what are we missing? From the outside, these protests are painted as really violent when that couldn't be further from the truth. I'm Brittany Luce, host of NPR's It's Been a Minute, and I'm inviting you to hear from student journalists who see what the rest of us cannot. On It's Been a Minute from NPR. On It's Been a Minute, we're keeping you in the know when it comes to culture. I break down the latest trends and the forces behind them and introduce you to the creatives who think deeply about how we live today. Come for some good old cultural analysis and have a few laughs with me. Listen to the It's Been a Minute podcast from NPR.